Do you want your games to get harder as you succeed in them and easier when you lose? EA thinks so. Adventurers, join us for an all-new episode. Greetings, adventurer, and welcome to the Surly Nerd. Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to the show. We are the Surly Nerd, your geek news roundup for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me this week is our producer, Tony. Hoi, hoi. And our co-host, Hector. Hello. And this week on the show, after the news, we're going to be talking about adaptive difficulty in games, which is a lot more complicated issue than you think that it is. But before we start, don't forget that you can head over to patreon.com slash thesurlynerd, where as a patron of our show, you can suggest topics for us to talk about. With all that out of the way, ladies and gentlemen, adventurers of all ages, it's time for... The Prelude. Prelude. All right, this is The Prelude. This is what we've been doing with ourselves this week, what we've been playing, what we've been watching, what's been occupying our free time. Hector, why don't we start with you? Sure. Uh, let's see. I've been playing a lot of Overwatch mm -hmm. uh, recently, and uh, now that the uh, new Archives event is up, that's been really fun. I'm diving into new characters. I'm really getting back into the game, which happens to me like once a year. I I'm heard they made a change to the way that you get the... The free skin in that. Yeah. So originally, the way when they come out with a free skin, they the rule is you win nine games mm -hmm. and then you get the skin. Mm -hmm. But now with archives, what I heard was it's just the amount of participation you have in games. Correct. Yeah. Well, the the reason for that is is um a lot of the archive events are um uh, PVE events, right? Like right. four players versus uh you know AI and robots right. and stuff. And they have three different events now with three different modifiers for each. Mm. And now some of them are very difficult. So mm. if you get a certain amount of of the way through it and are doing a good job like as far as the team goes you will get credit for that as a notch on your win Got you it. can also do it by doing elimination rounds and actually winning them and all the other fun arcade games that they have there right. but uh yeah you can not entirely complete some of the uh, uh pve challenges and still get credit for a win. that's really cool mm -hmm. that's, that's very player friendly so yeah i dig that Oh, it's been great. Um, also, uh, we had the, uh, the the April Fool's card that mm -hmm. they put up. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that was uh, normally for April Fool's. They'll like release some patch notes. That's like, lol, wouldn't this be funny if, you know, like Anna had 12 grenades and right. Junkrat's, uh, you know, bombs or three bombs or something like that. Something silly. This time they released a really great list and everyone was like, you know what? Some of these actually sound pretty good. I would like to try that. And then they were like, oh, you can. We actually built all of this. It's in the <laughs> experimental card. Go play. I was like, what do you mean go play? You, you, Doomfist can punch up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Doomfist can punch Torb up. Torb gets two turrets. Torb gets two turrets. Uh, you Which know, is not fair. Yeah, Zarya can now, uh, you know, d d just double shield the person in front of them instead of only having one one offensive and one defensive shield. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I remember I was on Twitter a lot because I followed so much Overwatch on Twitter, mm -hmm. and there were so many people that played it, and they said. I don't think I've had this much fun in Overwatch in a long time. Yep. It's just silly. It's random. It's just, it feels fresh and new and I'm loving it. And some of these changes, please keep them. Yeah. I have to talk about my experience with Overwatch lately because it was always, no matter how much fun I was having, even way at the beginning, so toxically negative, like mm -hmm. in the chat, in, you know, voice chat, everywhere you go, when you interact with other players of Overwatch, the, uh, the, the community as a whole consensus was everybody sucks. Everyone's just there to, blame you 
if you lose and blame you for not being good enough, even if you win. Right. And that's not been my experience since I've come back. Mm-hmm. People are nicer. People are more gracious. People only really complain when they're being like dumped on. And right. usually they're blaming the game, not each other. They're like, man, this matchmaking is ass. Or like, I can't believe we got a match with a bunch of obvious Smurfs who won their last three games who were, should definitely be platinum tier, but they're all like level three copper like right, level. Right. But the other two teams they fought were obviously trash, and now they brought them up to like middling level, and we're just getting destroyed by these like level three coppers. So yeah, um, long story short, the community has gotten a lot better, mm-hmm. which doesn't usually happen in gaming communities. So I mm-hmm. hope it stays that way. Awesome. What else have you been doing? Uh, lots of Death Stranding. Yeah. Uh, I can't get enough of that game. Uh, yeah, I haven't really been watching much outside of YouTube lately. Just been playing a lot of Death Stranding because it's it's, it's very cathartic awesome. right now. Yeah, it's so easy to like uh, sit down with and be like all right i have a couple things in mind that i want to do in this game and then like six hours have gone by yeah. and you're like oh yeah now i'm still running up to the oh jesus what time is it there's a really good game flow to death stranding where if you sit out to just do a couple of small things when mm-hmm. you sit down you can 20 minutes of playtime can stretch far in death stranding yes it really and can. that 20 minutes can like you said roll into six hours easily because you're yeah. just you're in that game flow the whole time and you're just like oh yeah i can go do this oh yeah now that i've done that i can go do this and yeah. it's just these little minor tasks that you can complete and you feel good doing all of it yeah this morning that's also I was, why i like minecraft yeah yeah <laughs> this morning i was like setting up a relay station like this won't take me long i'll go get my coffee in a minute you know and i just walk over to a place set up a relay station and it really worked for me to like go between two different places quickly i'm like great and i was like all right time to go get my coffee and i was like wait i can put one there and then like three more and i have a whole network all right well let me do the next one then i'll get my coffee so then i had (laughs) finished my network like three hours later and i'm like fuck i need coffee (laughs) (laughs) yep uh let's see here tony what have you been doing this week uh well hector played a lot of games i watched a lot of stuff okay um made for love it's a show on uh hbo max Mm -hmm. Uh, new episodes on thursdays which apparently means they're just dumping out three episodes every Thursday. Yeah, because that was odd for me. I was like, "Oh, a new episode? No, whole hour and a half. I get to watch that show. It's really fun. Uh, Ray Romano's in it. Plays a very interesting character story. Just, just watch it. It's made for love. It's very entertaining. It feels it's like adults. you can't really talk I can't about. Can't really these. talk about it because it's there's just too much. If I tell you any of the plot of it, it's literally the first episode. So like, it's just it'll spoil like the right. funness of that first. Oh, moment. Yeah. So like, just, it's a really good show. Check it out. Um, the Vast of Night. It's another, I went back and watched that again. It's kind of a, it's definitely a low budget sci-fi movie. It's, um, it was picked up by Amazon mm-hmm. and it's, Originally, guess from a podcast or something. Yes, and um, yes, and, and apparently, when they made the movie, they were like, "We'll just do the podcast on film." <laughs> and they kind of did. And they kind of did shots where there's just like straight, just like you're watching nothing happen. There's just <laughs> audio going. You're like, "Cool, this is enjoyable. It's right. fine." I, I mean, it's enough where I've watched the movie twice now. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's have... it's a good movie. I'm not ragging on it at all. It's just like that's kind of what you're in for is a low budget sci-fi. Think um, think of uh, the. Not the day the earth stood still, the other one. A War of the Worlds, but more in a in-your-house sort of way. Okay. Yeah, it's low-budget War of the Worlds. It's definitely um, the uh, Twilight Zone yeah. thing. Yeah. It's it's heavily influenced by that, obviously, just by watching it. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Deep Rock Galactic was a game that I played where you play ah, space game. dwarves on asteroids slash planet, thing, whatever. Somewhere. You're in space. Mm-hmm. You're mining and shoot killing spiders. And then having to run back to your ship. It's um, a Left 4 Dead style 4v1, 4v2 
environment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's enjoyable. It's fun. You get to you collect rocks. Yeah. yeah. And you get to shoot spiders. Yeah. <laughs> and you collect rocks to upgrade your gear so you can get better at collecting rocks or, yeah. you know, maybe some different equipment based on your class that yeah. might help more in different types of other caves that you're digging in with your other nice. friends. It, it's a really interesting game and it has a lot of really friendly additions to it that will keep you playing. Nice. For example, there are these little stations that if you walk up to... You can just straight up link uh, like Twitch, Twitter, and like any of your social media to. And based on the faction that you picked, you can see how many other people on these social networks are with you. And as a group, you can try, uh, of the four factions, you can try and collect more resources than the other groups. And that gives your individual character like loot bonuses. That's an interesting social experiment. Right. Yeah. The, the whole game is designed to be incredibly social. Like in the hub before you take off on a mission where everyone just meets and like gears up because everyone's character is so individual. There's a place that's a bar where you literally just hang out and get drunk. And depending on what you drink, you will either have bonuses or the opposite of that going into the next mission. And mm. it can be it can be pretty fun. Huh. I haven't gotten that far in depth with it yet. I just played a few missions on it, and I could totally see why it's enjoyable for all of those aspects. I might have to give that one a shot then. Yeah, as a group, it's a ton of fun. I would never play that game alone, but if you get a group of people and just dive into it, Mm. it can be a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, On my side of the world, I don't have very much. I was writing three podcast scripts this week. Uh, Everything that could go wrong at work did go wrong at work. I, You know what did happen is... Hulu updated itself with a bunch more cooking shows and I sat on my couch and I just binged. Mm-hmm. I binged cooking competition shows. Uh, if I had to recommend a one to anyone, there's a new one that just came out called tournament of champions. Guy Fieri hosts it. It is basically a March madness bracket of some of the best chefs in the, that have ever been on like the food network and they all compete against each other and they're blindly judged. And I emphasize that last part because you, the people you think are going to win this do not win this. So it's it's only like six episodes, six hours. If you like cooking competition shows, it's totally worth your time. Uh, but I didn't have anything super geeky this week because I was writing scripts. Yep. Um, so that's everything that I've got for the prelude this week. We're going to take a small break. When we come back, we'll be going into our main news segment in the Weekly Raid. Weekly Raid. Hey, adventurers. Welcome back to the show. This is the Weekly Raid, our news roundup for the week. We've got a lot to cover, so let's jump right in. Kicking things off as a follow-up to some news from last week, E3 has been confirmed to be all digital this year and completely free for audience to partake in. It'll take place June 12th through the 15th and currently confirmed is Nintendo, Xbox, Capcom, Konami, Ubisoft, Take-Two, and Warner Brothers. Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, took to Twitter over the news, saying, Glad to see the games industry is coming together in June for a digital E3. This and other summer events are proof that our industry is strongest when we work together. Looking forward to sharing what we have in store this summer. So digital E3 is a great idea. I think a lot of companies should keep doing it even once COVID is over because there's a lot of advantages to it. And it brings a lot of smaller companies to the table. The thing about announcing that digital E3 will be free is super fucked up. 
Because I imagine, like in the future, now it's not going to be free. right. Well, imagine charging for. I mean, it's not fucking Comic Con, right? We're mm. not going there to like talk to all of our like favorite celebrities and watch them get give interviews on mm. like how they feel when they're acting our favorite characters. We're going to a press event to be advertised video games to. Yeah. We are literally going there to watch commercials for upcoming games and talk to the people making those games about the thing they are trying very hard to sell us. The idea of charging us to get in or to look at it on the internet is fucking stupid. And if that ever happened and anyone ever bought it, I would be personally upset with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we obviously do love things about... Uh, we do love things like the E3 showcase. Yeah. I mean, before the show, we were literally saying like, hey, should we take off days this year to just sit on the couch together and watch E3? And like, we were coming up with a plan for that. And so it's... We do love these showcases. We do love these press events. Um, but it's expensive to go to E3. Yes, it is. And it's hard to get into E3. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to limit who could view what is essentially a glorified advertisement. Yeah, it makes no sense. Like, do I really have to pay to watch this commercial? Like, yeah. I know it's going to be big and flashy, and it could even be, like, 25 minutes long. Yeah. But still, it is a commercial. Yeah. I mean... And we, usually not a very a accurate few, one. A few, a few years back... <laughs> the end result doesn't very rarely yeah, look like... A few years back, do. though, um, Sony did it right. Sony mm-hmm. went and bought out theaters around the U.S. and said, hey, do you want to watch the E3 press conference like you're there? Go to AMC, you get a free ticket if you get in line by a certain time, and you can watch the press conference with us in the theater. And we did it. It was so much fun. It was super cool. It was an hour and a half of us being advertised to, and I didn't care, but I wouldn't have paid for that. Oh, fuck no. No, for obvious reasons why they're not doing that this year. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you don't want to crowd people into a movie theater. Yeah, but it makes sense. (laughs) Sony killed hundreds of people this year. (laughs) Right. Because they wanted to show commercials. Oh, look, that's what the Texas Rangers are doing right now. Yeah, yeah. All right. (laughs) So, have you ever wanted to hear us talk about the ballet? Because look no further, it was announced the Royal Ballet will be putting on a presentation of Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal in its 2021-2022 season. And yes, they will be using creatures from Jim Henson's Creature Shop. I need to go to the, I need to see this. Where can I view this with my own human eyes? Because yes. I would love to Probably see London. this live. And where God do these damn. ballet dancers hang out afterwards? <laughs> uh, usually gonna... in chairs because their feet are very yeah, tired. Yeah, probably. I just want to know where the puppets hang out afterwards. Oh, dude. Yeah. I'm mean, in a closet because they're. Just and, and ju- just to be clear, like if any of y'all want to know how involved some of these puppets are, like go watch some of the behind the scenes stuff for the Dark Crystal of a- Age of Resistance on uh, Netflix, because mm-hmm. um, they have a lot of people manipulating puppets and showing you how amazingly involved and it's artistically like beautiful they are. And, like for one puppet, yeah. And... So to have something like this at a ballet almost seems like less ballet and almost more like uh, like Bunraku, like Japanese theater. Mm-hmm. But if they're gonna do it to like dance and music that sounds beautiful too uh, just more of this yes yeah, I would I'm, love, I'm, I would love to on, see this how is this story going to play out in ballet I want to know wordlessly I just, yeah <laughs> you know I, I, I believe myself to be a man of culture I do enjoy going to like Broadway uh, style yeah. shows I've been to Phantom a couple times I've been to the opera itself and so seen Faust um, but it's it's rare that something comes along ballet wise it really just makes me go oh man I totally want to go see that ballet yeah this is definitely the one I'm like yeah I want to go to London and see a ballet please fuck like, yeah yeah I'm, I'm down <sighs> let's see just waiting for the 
Master Chief collection ballet. <laughs> I will be there front row. It'll some, happen. We'll see some Covenant versus Spartans <laughs> ballet edition. Cortana just dancing across the stage. Freaking pirouette, great. like flying and <laughs> shit. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, Naomi Watts has been set to produce and star in an English language version of the psychological thriller Goodnight Mommy for Amazon. Uh, the original film's directors will be the executive producers of this new English language version. Mm. So it was originally an Austrian film. Yeah. Um, um, big fan of it. Yeah. I fucking love that movie and it is disturbing. Mm -hmm. It is really, really disturbing in a way that is going to be difficult to Americanize because mm -hmm. as we all know, foreign horror, depending on its origin, is a very different flavor of horror right. than most Americans are used to. Yeah. And sometimes the translation works very well, but oftentimes it doesn't, which is why I'm usually like, just go watch the original. Yeah. It's not that hard to read. It's a horror movie. They don't talk much. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, you get what you get. I hope it's good. I Naomi Watts is a good director um, and a great actress, so I, I guess we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, she wouldn't have volunteered for this if she didn't, know, like, what am I trying to say? So she's a very beautiful woman, and she's going to be playing a role in this movie with her face covered up most of the time. Mm -hmm. That's pretty brave. So yeah. kudos to her for that. I'm just usually, it, it's hard to be on board with remaking foreign films that aren't that old just so that Americans don't have to read. Right. Yeah, but, I, I agree with that as well. And I think that I do encourage everybody to watch the original. It is a psychological thriller. Mm -hmm. um, it is very dark. It can be disturbing at times. Um, but it's a movie that's worth watching. It's beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. um, so rarely do we get child actors that are just so so good at what they do. And that movie, holy fucking shit. Like yeah. those kids, those kids make that movie. Like it, it is fantastic. Uh, let's see here. Oh, if you're looking for some Castlevania news this week, you're in luck. Sadly, it's not a new announcement from Konami, but a canceled Castlevania game for the Sega Dreamcast called Castlevania Resurrection was once upon a time shown at E3 1999 and then uh, canceled shortly thereafter. A disc of that fabled prototype has finally been discovered. What the owner is going to be doing with the disc remains to be seen. I know we're just making a bunch of dead air. I know you know, we are. It's more like I'm never going to get to play this game. Yeah, I don't. And, and I, I don't know what to say it. about any of this. I mean, yeah. great, but this so is, so this was a game that I was <laughs> that I was definitely looking forward to. I did have a Dreamcast. I am mm -hmm. a Castlevania fan. Um, this was the story of a Belmont who's been since written out of the canon. Mm -hmm. um, was it was this done by Konami or was yeah. this like some kind of other yeah. studio? It was thing? Just Konami. Okay, and it was a 3D wow. Castlevania game, and. Uh, yeah, she was she was one of the characters that was written out of the canon. She started life in the uh, Game Boy series, mm. uh, Sophia Belmont. Um, I believe she in the old canon hooked up with Alucard, and that's how they be made the new Belmont lineage. Um, that was all written oh. out at some point. Okay, um, so that doesn't exist. But uh, yeah, it was a very fascinating. You can find videos of it online. Um, it was a really cool concept, and apparently there was a fully playable demo at E three. Um, but again, it got canceled and the demo discs, like a lot of the artifacts of that time just kind of went away. Mm. The thing that kind of upsets me a little bit is that currently we don't know what the owner of the disc is going to be doing with it. Yeah. Because I feel like that's something you need to put in archive somewhere before it gets lost again. For sure. And I mean, I would be I would be a little more intrigued by this news if we didn't have any... 3D action-based Castlevania games, but we do. There were a bunch for the PlayStation 2 and 3. Um, they were good. Yeah, some by Kojima, some by, like, old-school Castlevania Konami. Yeah, Ego worked on the original, or one of the 
3D ones. Not not, like, not, not the 64 ones, yeah. but they did the PlayStation ones. And they all have such knobby names that it's hard to remember exactly what they're called. It's like Lament of Innocence, maybe, but yeah. that could also uh, be Lament a Game of Boy Innocence, one. I think it's the first one. Yeah. Curse uh, of Darkness was the second one. That's one oh, yeah. with the Hector. Uh-huh. Yeah. But but those were fun games. They, they were good. I liked them. Um, mm-hmm. And I hope this one would be good, too. Yeah, it should definitely be archived. Like, there's nothing that's going to be done with it. It's not going to be developed into a new game. I have absolutely yeah. no yeah, hope for that just, happening. Where's it going to go? I mean, yeah. yeah. So uh, just whatever you do, don't give it back to konami yeah don't give it, please <laughs> god don't do that make them buy it back yeah, yeah seriously uh let's see here netflix has struck a deal with sony that will provide an 18th month 18 month exclusive window for new sony films uh so that means films Oof. like morbius uncharted or the upcoming venom film will air on netflix first yeah i wonder how what that uh what, what the ramifications for that are on spider-man films hmm. that's that is a good question mm-hmm. everybody wants to know how that kind of plays out because that's the half and half, right? Yeah. And I mean, the rest of them showing up on Netflix, great. Cool. I mean, more movies on Netflix, the better. And right now, they're kind of hurting for movies that they didn't make. Yeah. And people trust Netflix movies that are made by Netflix eh, is usually for like a dumb evening, not for like mm-hmm. a theater experience, right? Or like a well, theater level experience. Especially with like um, things like Shudder. Mm-hmm. going to like Anne's Film Festival yes. and buying up all the good horror mm-hmm. like that's a thing that is happening and yeah. that's why Shudder is actually worth your time yeah definitely um, it is because everybody had to do what Netflix was doing which was just that because yep. Netflix was going in buying up all of the good stuff and everybody else was going oh fuck that's the reason Netflix has so much stuff yep. uh, what do we do yep. spend more money that's how it's the only way you can compete is spend more money mm-hmm. and cool i'm really happy that sony's found a place that isn't them trying to make their own streaming site yeah thank you sony for not making sony plus premiere.com right oh thank you so much for that i I don't know like what i would have done if there was another platform just for like the sony marvel movie right (laughs) i know exactly what we would have done we would have not gotten it because how many of those we just Everybody has their own streaming service. You buy it for a week yeah. and then you cancel it because, like, yeah. I watched the movie. I'm and and, now. and yeah. now the internet's memeing, like, hey, guys, I guess piracy's back because <laughs> they tried to bring cable back. So here we are again. Yep, that's exactly what's happened. Uh, let's hear. Oh, Death Stranding sales numbers for the PC in 2020 were released this week. Looks like it made about $20 million in sales just in the PC version. Fuck yeah. I think that's a pretty huge deal for Kojima Studios being their first venture that they managed to get making a made in a pretty short amount of time yeah yeah when the game came out and was like ready to be released everyone was like weren't you just working on you got fired like not that long ago dude and he's like yeah i've had this one i've had this idea for a long time yeah (laughs) i mean for a studio's first time out i mean this is a literally very first first game this is uh on it means a lot of money for a developer's first game yeah Yeah. i mean seriously i'm saying that like the guy hasn't made how many like, games like before. he didn't right, of invent course, but fucking I mean, the Metal Gear franchise right, but bad things like that happen all the time just look at what happened with Bloodlines you know like it, it, so you can have a lot of original talent but when you move them all and mix them all up mm. and put them in a different spot and try and make them work I think together really, it doesn't always work out a really good example of that is specifically Cliff Blazinski and the game Lawbreakers oh yeah mm-hmm. it's like, was, look at all this talent we're, we have like yep. we're gonna get in there we're gonna make the fucking best game in the world and it was okay yeah it, it was rated like Five. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah. It, when when you stood it next to Overwatch, it was really uncomplicated and just kind of a yeah. team deathmatch game, and those hadn't been popular since Unreal Four. Yeah, that's true. 
Oh, let's see here. Oh, Microsoft and 343 is starting to work closely with uh, esports groups in preparation for the release of Halo Infinite. Halo's esports boss said, if a game is entertaining to watch, has great esports content and streamers, has a strong viewership, the entire ecosystem will grow organically over time. Mm -hmm. Basically, more viewership equals more incentive to stream, more diverse content, more financial support for streamers, including competitive players, bigger and better tournaments, and interest in the scene as a whole. When asked how they will get the audience to Halo, he says that uh, Halo as a game has so many fun and interesting experiences to offer. And as the culture of content creation permeates the Halo community, we want to enable and support creators regardless of the modes they play. Uh, and, and just so I'm clear, in our minds, that doesn't come at the expense of the core competitive multiplayer that Halo Esports is going to be built on. This is an effort to grow the pie of it. How can we partner with teams to ultimately bring more fans to the sport, enrich the experience with Halo, with team-created Halo content, and create opportunities for fans to connect with those teams? Um, how can we partner with platforms to provide opportunities for Halo content creators? There's basically a lot of things that we're in the works with right now, and we're excited to share those details when the time's right. Cool. I mean, this is all in preparation for the eventual launch of Infinite. And right. It's a Halo game. If it wasn't going to have some, yeah, it, it was of always going to. Play. Yeah, someone was always going to. It was always going to have a multiplayer mode, and yep. it was always going to be one that people were going to want to watch. And we we don't know what it's going to turn out like yet, but we people were going to want to watch it at least for a little while. So right. it's smart to get all of the, your ducks in a row now for stuff like this, especially if you have confidence in the way it looks. Mm -hmm. That being said, the thing that worries me most about this is that the game hasn't come out yet, and we're already talking about this. And all I can say is. I hope you didn't design any of the game around this shit. Right. Like, and I don't mean like the systems in the game where you can like just upload your footage to Twitter. Please do that. That sounds great. I'm talking about designing the game mechanics or the gameplay types or any of that around what's going on with esports and like mm -hmm. esports or like how many people are watching you, et cetera, et cetera. Like, Halo, Halo, a lot of games try to do that. And it's right. Bad. Like Valorant really came in being like, we're here to be the next big esport. Yeah. Halo is a game that has an esports following, oh, yeah. but it's one that isn't shoved down anybody's throats. It's because mm -hmm. people enjoy playing Halo and people enjoy watching Halo. Right. That's, so you're saying like Halo fans aren't out there screaming at everybody to, you know, Fuck their mom or whatever. Uh, they're, they're definitely they're, doing that. yeah. They're, 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 they're absolutely doing that. But, I mean, but what I mean is like they're not a very loud vocal community of assholes on the internet. Yeah, they're just we really like Halo and telling each other that we like to fuck their each other's moms. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it, it's the old school Xbox way. It's just like yeah. you're in a game with someone who's like, "Lol, I fucked your mom." It's not you know. Yeah, I was canceling up as a people. Joke. It's the, <laughs> I like that there's this community of Halo players that are still that like can make that joke. Oh yeah. But it's still, it's a very nice community of people who love that game, same franchise. Yeah. And it's really cool. I've gotten to follow some of the same like professional players through like the history of all the Halo games. Yeah. And now this next one coming up and getting mm -hmm. to see new people coming in. And the last place we left professional Halo was the like the Spartan League stuff that yeah. was, that's still in Halo 5. You can go in there and see like the pro player stuff and like mm -hmm. how they set that up within the game. Mm -hmm. And it seems like they're trying to evolve that in a more consumer friendly way. Right. Meaning it's not just like Spartan pro players, only them. They're the best ones and everybody else sucks. But by putting a big shield on it, because honestly that's what the symbol was. Yeah. The it seems like they're going like, no, we want more integration with people that just like 
want to make weird maps and stuff for Halo. Right. And, like we want to bring in not just the competitive. Well, players. yeah, that's what he was kind of yeah. saying in there. Was he's like, it isn't just the core multiplayer experience. We want everybody to be able to participate. Yeah, right. People that make mm-hmm. weird fun just puzzles inside yeah. of the yeah. uh, map makers. There's. Shit, at this point, with how much people play GTA Five as the characters, the role playing or whatever, I'm yeah. surprised there's not going to be like role play fucking like servers for Spartans and Covenant and shit. There and could be, you never know. I'm gonna start my own role play server for yeah. Halo. Go I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go start my ERP role play server <laughs> for Halo. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. The last two big news items for the week are inherently tied to one another. And that can only mean one thing. We're going to have to talk about loot boxes and video games again. So I'm going to dive into both these headlines and then I'll open the panel for discussion. So a new study conducted by researchers in the UK has found a robustly verified link between problematic gambling and loot boxes and video games. Also this week, Brazil has opened an inquiry into banning loot boxes completely. They are arguing that loot boxes are a form of gambling, which is illegal in Brazil. Mm. Violators could face a fine of up to $700,000 a day. They have specifically targeted EA, Activision, Konami, Nintendo, Riot Games, Ubisoft, Tencent, and Valve. So everybody. So Everyone but Blizzard, <laughs> I guess. Some companies like EA have already made plans... No, to block their mm. randomizer mechanics like FIFA Ultimate Team Packs mm. uh, in those countries. So that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. So. I mean, I didn't know gambling was illegal in, in, in Brazil. Mm. Was it Brazil? It was Brazil. Brazil? In Brazil? That's interesting. Cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that really should cinch it because they super duper are gambling. And if they're illegal there, I hope they nail all these companies to the wall until, mm. they, st- until they take them out. And then... Like, a lot of people are going to just VPN into Brazil and get the loot box free versions of these games <laughs> to play. Yeah. I mean, holy crap. Could we just? Uh, yeah. Um, this does set a precedent, though. It when, does. when you have a whole country being like, no. Like, there are countries, a couple countries out there that have already started this process. Right. A few in the UK have started this process. Mm-hmm. And they're mostly under the guise that, like, well, this game is for children and this right. game has a lot of gambling in it. Right. Like, it's mostly gambling. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the, commercials the, the, the literally age literally says, like, gambling. five to ten. Yeah. And I mean, there's some interesting statistics that I, that, that they kind of came up with when they were doing this study about how like 5% of players tend to generate half of the revenue mm-hmm. for these loot boxes. That means 5% of players playing a soccer game are shelling out hundreds of thousands of dollars to mm-hmm. get the players they want. Yep. And they're like, it's gambling. If you put, if you are playing a video game that you bought for $60 and you have to gamble to get the rest of the things unlocked in it, that's a problem. Yeah. I remember when you had to have skill and talent to unlock things in a video game instead of just a wallet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they would just like, you know, give you a list of cheat codes after you beat the game. It's like, yeah. turn whatever of these on you want afterwards. But mm-hmm. yeah. That's I, why I love the Lego games. It's literally just nothing but cheat codes at the end. You're like, fuck it. It's for fun. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's a game. And it was Belgium that was one of the original people who started banning loot boxes. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a, the same thing. They said, this violates the gambling laws in our country. This is allowing children to gamble. That violates our laws. Yeah. And that's what they're trying to push for in America, too. They're saying, like, look, man, like, kids play these games. If your game is for children and you don't include on the box, it has gambling mechanics, like, it's illegal. We haven't gotten there yet, but that's the yeah. argument that's I mean, we're made. on our way because there's no one can make the argument that this game has a feature where I put real, actual human money in mm. and it gives me a bunch of randomizers and then I might or might not win a prize from it. Yeah. 
That's that's just gambling. Yeah. That is a slot machine. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it may, may, like whatever you think it else, it might be an interesting way to solve content distribution, or you know, a way to keep your game financially viable for longer than it takes after the initial sales release. Great. It also it does all of that as well. You're right, and it makes you dick tons of money. Yes. It's Fine, but it's absolutely gambling. Mm-hmm. And if you don't treat it like it is because you didn't intend for it to be, uh, uh, sorry, man. It, it's a, a gun's a gun, whether or not you wanted it to be a gun. Yeah, it's very true. All right, that's everything we have for the news this week. When we come back, we'll be going into our main topic in the boss room. Boss room. Hey, adventurers, welcome back to the show. This is The Boss Room, our main discussion for the podcast. Sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. Today, we're going to be discussing adaptive difficulty in games. In simplest terms, adaptive difficulty means when you're doing good in games, they get harder, and when you're losing, they get easier. It's an oversimplification for a very complex algorithm, but I wanted to kind of boil it down to its simplest terms for the sake of this discussion. And just so you know, adaptive difficulty is not something new in games. However, back in October, EA filed a patent for adaptive difficulty in games. The purpose of this was based around what they were calling a, quote, game retention prediction model. Basically, they want to make games that by their very nature keep people playing for longer periods of time. So this has a lot of implications to discuss, so let's kind of dive into that. Um, I think before we start, I think it's safe to say that EA trying to put a patent on a game system is an inherently bad thing, right? This is, again, the thing that happened with um, with the Nemesis system. It's, it's, it's a bunch of code put together. None of these ideas did you invent. You slapped them together and decided you wanted to patent the idea that code is doing this. That, mm-hmm. that can't be what you're doing. And... With the Nemesis system, at least it was a really creative application of all of those things. This is literally just dynamic difficulty. We've had dynamic difficulty in video games since... I mean, I I, I at least remember the first game that I played it with, and it was Devil May Cry. Mm -hmm. And Devil May Cry did have a difficulty system that was very obvious. But the game also got easier if you died over and over. Or Mm -hmm. at least asked you if you wanted to switch difficulty. It was engaging you in that way. Recently, I played Control. Control has no difficulty selector anywhere in the game. The whole time I was playing it, I felt like it was just difficult enough. And they had to have worked so hard to make that happen. Mm. And you know what they didn't do afterward? Fucking try and patent it because it's a stupid idea. Right. Stop patenting game mechanics. I'm going to patent uh, functioning code. <laughs> <laughs> Let's release a game with no bugs and pat- and, and like patent the idea of releasing a finished video game the first time. <laughs> <laughs> It would be the first time in game history, probably. <laughs> well, <laughs> no one's ever going to fight you on that. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, that is inherently bad. But let's talk about adaptive difficulty. Okay. So we just discussed how loot boxes prey on addictive personalities, mm-hmm. specifically ones based around gambling. Mm-hmm. If a game developer is trying to find a way to keep us playing their game longer, isn't that kind of the same thing? Mm. Or make a good game. That's one way Here, to make me play longer. Here's my big thing about that entire argument. I feel like them housing adaptive difficulty in a to make players play longer language is entirely horseshit. Mm -hmm. That is not why... Of course, that's why people... Okay, to reorganize my sentence, you don't want gamers to hit a brick wall, get frustrated, and stop playing your game because it's too hard. And some of them feel bad for switching to a lower difficulty as if it's an assault on their skill as a gamer. Manhood, womanhood, however you want to put that. 
Um, so they'll just sit there and try harder and harder. And if they're not winning, they will quit in frustration. Right. So if the game doesn't tell them and quietly lowers the difficulty when they keep losing, they can feel accomplished and they'll keep playing. That is great. True. That is really great. In a single player video game, that is a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. And games like Left 4 Dead have been doing it for a long time. Yep. And games even before that that are like multiplayer but still versus AI have been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Trying to get people to finish a level, be able to compete, yeah. be able to play well. Imagine you play Mario right. and you jump and you keep dying off this one little spot. And finally it just goes, okay, we're just going to give you like a couple extra frames. <laughs> You're going to put yeah. a just, bridge over this, yeah. over this pit. Just quit fucking falling, dude. <laughs> Right, and all of that is well and good, and all of that is great, and none of this did was was invented by any single person. It's all mm-hmm. just ideas built off of each other further and further. Mm-hmm. An idea that we'll talk about a lot in our Final Fantasy show, which you should watch later mm-hmm. uh, if you're a patron. But um, the just leaving the patent thing out. It don't think making the gamer more comfortable with the difficulty curve is the same thing as manipulating them into playing longer. I think it's just okay. making your game better. Mm-hmm. Or at least more accessible. I think, I better think, I, I think my hard. reason for the initial question and making that comparison is specifically the language that EA was using. Right. Right. It it felt, I mean, maybe just because EA is like attached to it, it mm-hmm. felt a little skeezy. It is skeezy. That's the thing. When they said... Uh, to keep play, pl- players playing longer, I was like, that's the worst way you can possibly put that. Is it to make our games more accessible would have been an incredible way to put that. To make our games... Increase audience retention. Yeah, increase retention, make it better. Right. Yeah, it, it all does. And, But yeah, if there's a thing that's going to lower, you know, a monster's health bar because he keeps killing you, cool. That's great. But it's not... The idea, that, yeah, when they when they put it like, because when when they say to keep players playing longer, all you picture in your head is some guy who's been playing far too long, mm-hmm. who keeps going because that's how we think about video games these days, or at least game addiction. Mm-hmm. And when we think about game addiction, we think, oh, game companies really love game addiction. Mm-hmm. So when they put those two things together and EA said they're going to do a you know some code to make us play longer we think ooh gross skeezy but the actual mechanic they're describing of like adaptive difficulty no that's just if you want to make your game that way make it that way that way if you don't and you want give me god of war difficulty right there from the beginning for your nart for your masochists throw that in there and then that's your game mm-hmm. I, the, the, the biggest part about this to me, the only reason this is even worth talking about is because of the patent thing. I, I, I'm not sure if the adaptive difficulty part, like, I don't know who would be against that as a idea for any video game. I it, feel like it's a, it's not a mechanic though. It's just part of a design philosophy for your game. Not right. every game needs to have this. Well, I would right. imagine and Doom it can be. having this. No, mm-hmm. Doom has its harder levels on purpose. Right. So you have to get better and better at it. Right. Well, I mean, we can't really have this discussion without talking about difficulty as a whole, right? Right. Because games like Dark Souls have entire discussions online saying like, hey, Dark Souls needs to have an easy mode. Right. I mean, does adaptive fit difficulty fix that issue? Or right. do and we allow games to have the level of difficulty they wish to present? Or Dark Souls is a great example. I was just about to bring that up. Thank you. Because Dark Souls, let's say you get killed by the same mob over and over again. You can't get past the first five seconds of the level. And I'm thinking of a very specific Demon Souls 
Souls level that I have a lot of trouble with back in the day. And then loading up the game today, I blew right by that guy. And I was like, that guy gave me zero problems. Was it 4-1? Yes, it was 4-1. I it was fucking knew it. was a little skeleton. He just like comes at you like a bat out of hell. And you're like, oh God, oh God, oh God. Yep. And this time it's just like, lol, loser. And I just walked right by him. Mm-hmm. Because... The difficulty curve in that game is about knowing the game. Now, if that guy killed me over and over again, and the next time I fought him, his health bar was halved, that would not be an interesting game mechanic. That would Mm -hmm. ruin a lot of what Dark Souls is about. Mm -hmm. So it does not belong in Dark Souls. Dark Souls has its own dynamic difficulty. It's called playing as a mage. And as Mm -hmm. soon as you figure that out, you're like, oh, I can get through this game. And then you do, and you're like, oh, I should really try this with a sword mm. because I'm good now. That's how the difficulty in Dark Souls is supposed to work right. if you're getting trounced. Which goes to show you that patenting something as out, as as nebulous as adaptive difficulty, I mean, what does that mean for Dark Souls? Can right. Dark Souls still design their game that way? Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, no, it's, it's a complicated issue, it and is. it's something that we need to think about specifically when we do talk about things like the Soul series, mm-hmm. because when we're talking about difficulty as a whole, right, we're talking about accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, Dark Souls and the Soul series in general isn't necessarily accessible for everyone. Yeah, um, due True. to due to its difficulty, um, and there is kind of a case that has been made where they. Some people believe all games should be accessible to all gamers, mm-hmm. um, whether that be something like Xbox makes the adaptive controller for people who can't hold a normal controller. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the question of difficulty in games. Should all games have a difficulty that allows people to just pick up and play their game? Mm-hmm. Uh, does Devil May Cry need just a story mode where you can just play through very casually, smash a button, and just enjoy the story of Devil May Cry? Um it's it's a big question that's going on right now in the community. We talk about things like um, loot based games. Whenever you have to have a basically skill checks, that the harder the difficulty they make it, the better the loot is. Hmm. But then you have people who are like, hey, I don't have the amount of time. I don't have the energy to, to put in that. How do I sure. get that reward? Mm-hmm. And you make those players. You are you alienating them because now that audience doesn't have the time or the ability right. or function to get those rewards right. from a game. Mm-hmm. Or are you just saying like, no, I mean, that requires the dedication and I'm sorry that you don't have it. Mm-hmm. Other people do. And that we made it for that type of audience. Yeah. Right. Not every, not every game is meant to be played by everybody. Right. <laughs> and, and that might sound exclusionary, but it's really not. Because when you think about and video games aside, when you think about the nature of a game, even a non-competitive one mm-hmm. like Solitaire, the idea is there is a goal and it requires a certain amount of skill to get here. You either have to put the ball in the basket or run it past the line or hit it with a racket. Or you have to place the cards in the correct order without shuffling them a certain number of times. Mm. Or you have to get to the end of Demon Souls. Um, All of these things require a certain level of mastery of the game you're playing. Because if anybody could do it the first time they picked it up, it wouldn't be a game. It would be a thing we just do. But accessibility in games is is a hot button issue right now, which is why, and this is not a difficulty related statement, Mm -hmm. but games like The Last of Us have colorblind mode. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. That's that's a level of accessibility that they provide to the gamers who allow people who normally wouldn't be able to play that kind of Mm -hmm. game to be able to play. There's actually a lot of really good examples in The Last of Us because some of them were turned turned on by people without the disabilities they were designed for because they thought it made the game better. Not necessarily something like colorblind mode or mm-hmm. like uh, like uh, 
uh, unfocused vision mode that they have where everyone just becomes a block of colors. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a mode for people who can't, you know, uh, uh, speed tap a button Mm -hmm. where you can just hold them down for QTEs. But what it also did is it made it so when you pick things up, you don't just mash triangle for everything you pick up. You hold triangle down. And as Ellie walks towards a shelf of loot, she will just start picking it up as long as you're holding down triangle. A lot of people turn that on. Mm-hmm. It sounds like because it, it should have been. makes it just easier because you're not mashing triangle to pick up loot all the yeah, time. Right. Yeah, I, I have the same problem with uh, games like Diablo where you're constantly clicking your mouse. Mm-hmm. It just it gets old after a while. So I loved that option. I turned that on. There was also a lot of people, speaking of difficulty, in The Last of Us 2 who played the game on normal difficulty so that there would be a reasonable abundance of crafting items, but turned the AI and the enemy and the combat difficulty up to 11, as hard as they could, because that's how they wanted to play their game. Mm-hmm. That is really accessible, and it's really awesome. Now, if someone needed to do the opposite, they could also do that. Maybe someone wants no items, but they don't really do well in the combat, so they just turn the combat down to baby level because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you know, I'm not fast enough, mm-hmm. or honestly, it's really disturbing to me, so I would like it to be over as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. These are all great things. Mm-hmm. And they're great things about The Last of Us because The Last of Us is ex- meant to be experienced as a single story, almost like a movie, but, you know, longer mm-hmm. with, you know, valleys and peaks. So this is a great way to be able to play this game. That system, which is a really good system, which uh, Naughty Dog should be commended for, again, doesn't work in Dark Souls. And it doesn't work in Devil May Cry. Mm-hmm. I mean, difficulty, not every, Tony's exactly right. Not every game should be or can be accessible to every person who wants to play it Mm -hmm. um that's just just the way games are Mm -hmm. humanity is i mean it's we're all a bunch of fucked up genetic code (laughs) so not everybody's gonna get to do everything everybody else wants to do and Mm -hmm. that's kind of sucks but and this is the nicest way of saying sorry Mm -hmm. yeah but i don't think that ea should be able to copyright something as fundamentally just built into a game's design right. you know what because I'm so it's independent of a game's design and i don't know if this is in your notes james what i'm super curious about is if they had a specific game in mind when they made this announcement uh, did they mention any I, of their I, games? I looked over several articles because i always try to cross-reference when i mm-hmm. uh, write up my notes they didn't have anything specifically that they were calling in it wasn't like the nemesis system where right. like, we're specifically doing this thing yeah and the reason that i ask is because most ea games are multiplayer games where this does not matter and would right. not make any difference whatsoever i'm thinking of like rogue squadron battlefield battlefront fifa mm-hmm. all the other sports games those are all very very multiplayer but i mean there are some things that are coming there are some things that are coming around the corner like bioware is part of ea and we are going to be getting a dragon age soon oh yeah or mass effect the the mass effect remasters coming out Mm -hmm. and those games would be great with adaptive difficulty because the some of the things about hard mode don't make sense unless you're in like a new game plus playthrough or something Mm -hmm. like that so yeah changing the way the difficulty worked in an old game to make it not even more accessible, even though it will be more accessible, just to make it better, a more streamlined experience. That's great. But they just don't have a lot of games that they need this for. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, um, and Jedi Fallen Order. Like, mm-hmm. like that's all I can and think of. some people would say Jedi Fallen Order because it's so much more of a Souls-like doesn't mm-hmm. need to have that adaptive difficulty. I would agree with that. I feel like if the game made it easier for me to be an awesome Jedi while I was playing and I noticed, I'd be a little upset. Right, because the point of it is you are supposed to not just go into a battle with your lightsaber swinging, mm-hmm. right? You are supposed to be patient. Mm-hmm. It is definitely the most 
Jedi feeling of any Jedi game ever because it isn't yeah. just I go in there and beat Smash. Oh yeah, no, I've never I've never swung a lightsaber in a game that was more satisfying. Yeah, and that's saying a lot because I loved the Jedi Fallen Order games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing we keep talking about is how or, yeah this is this idea you're talking of, about Force Unleashed. Sorry, yes, Force Unleashed. Yeah, the yeah. the idea of this is a game mechanic is exactly that. It's a game mechanic, and not every game ha- can have it. Mm-hmm. Which we pointed out, so many games that should not have something like this. Mm-hmm. But we've also talked about how historically this has already been a thing, mm-hmm. right? So and that is kind of the key point here. It is. <laughs> it's like a lot of games do this. Uh, again, my favorite example uh, it recently has been Control, and I have to bring it up again because I'll tell you a hundred percent. This is the truth. I did not notice there was no difficulty in the game until I finished it. Mm-hmm. Someone had to point that out to me. Never once did it occur to me that this game is too hard. Mm-hmm. I need to turn down the difficulty or this game has been too mm-hmm. a- easy. I really need to like crank this up. So like, this is more of a challenge. The game kept me in the sweet spot the entire time. And I was so enamored with the rest of like the game and the gameplay and the mystery going on. I never thought about it twice. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, when someone mentioned control is a game without a difficulty setting, it just adapts to what you're doing. I was like, Holy fuck. It does. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> right. So it sounds like as, as a whole, as we discuss adaptive difficulty, we think that A, it's a very important feature for a lot of games, oh, yes. which means B, it's definitely not something that should be patented. Oh, never. Mm-mm. But it's oh, also mm-mm. kind of fun in conclusion, as we talked about it, it's not something that needs to be around for every game. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe game, all games don't need an adaptive difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like saying all games have to be first person shooters. Right. Or I mean, all games have to be art. Like it's just parts of these things are just little mechanics of what the whole game is. Right. Mm-hmm. When you design a game like Galaga or a game like checkers, you make up the rules based on what you think would be fun. And, the fun things are usually challenging and take a minute to get so you can feel like you've mastered them. That's what every game is going to be, unless it honestly doesn't want to be that and it wants to be a visual novel, which is why we call visual novel games visual novels, is because they have no appreciable difficulty curve and you're literally just sitting there experiencing a story. Mm-hmm. And I'm not mm-hmm. knocking that. Some of them are amazing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, don't patent video game mechanics at all. And when you're thinking about your video game's difficulty, think about it in terms of how you're designing your game instead of the other way around. Maybe Hector's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we'll just close. Both agree each other, yeah. right? So. Yeah. Well, then we'll just close the chapter out there. That's everything that we have for the show this week. Thank you for tuning in with us. Sorry, we had a little bit of a delay getting the show up this week. We had technical problems, and mm-hmm. it was bad. Yeah. And so we couldn't record until Sunday. So we're going to try and get the show out today if we can. Um, that being said, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to talk to us about that we talked about in this episode, Tony, where can they find us? Uh, Patreon.com slash necessarily nerd. Go ahead and uh, join us there. Uh, we got yeah for money. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Sterling Nerds, our Twitter account. Go <laughs> <laughs> to SterlingNerd.com is our email address. Uh, yeah, send us emails, stuff. You know, go go to go to the website Sterling.com or like mm-hmm. uh, any other, any other things I already said. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's everything we have for the show this week. Until next week, adventures for Tony. This James or James. This is Tony. And I'm Hector. Adventures. Good night and good game.